thanks for listening to Draw Near with Fred and Kara. And I'm back. Um, but it's just me on this episode. So kind of hearing my voice come over the intro for the first time in a long time. Um, so as many of you know, I have been away from the episodes since I think the end of May. Um, and Fred and I, we have shared that our summers are always just very busy. Um, I'm sure soon, you know, we'll share a little bit more about what we get to do each summer. But one of the things that I had the opportunity to do was to teach a course on the Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles. Um, well, it wasn't it wasn't so much of like a full course, but it was about nine hours of teaching, um, which is very small compared to what you could teach on those. But um, it was all new content and all things that I had to prepare. So Fred very graciously provided the shorties on the Our Father um, to be able to still be there for all of you and um, put something out, but also to allow me to really put the work in that I needed to for that course to be able to then um, teach it to those that we mentor each summer. So I'm very grateful for that. And as many of you know and have seen on the Draw Near Facebook, BJ, my husband, and I, we welcomed our third child into the world in August, um, Agnes. So um, she's absolutely wonderful, but she's had some medical issues. She had a a really rough um, entrance into the world. So then I was gone for a little longer than what we had planned for the recording. But I'm back for a shorty, um, just me today, but I am very, very excited. So I thought I would come back just to do kind of a, a little segment. That way, the first time you all hear from me, I was a little bit worried about this. The first time you all hear from me wouldn't be you know, four last things part two, which we know we still need to do and are going to be putting out. But I I wasn't sure about, hey, everyone, I'm back. Now let's talk about hell. Um, not crazy about that. So I'm just going to do kind of, um, kind of a follow-up to what Fred was able to offer you this summer. So he got really into the Our Father prayer in each petition, and he gave you wonderful scriptural, spiritual, practical application for that prayer that Jesus gives us that the church absolutely loves, um, and he really helped all of you as our listeners to enter into the Our Father prayer, and that was the goal. Um, but since this summer, I got to dive into the Gospel of Luke, I wanted to kind of end that Our Father series by looking at Luke's perspective and the Our Father from the Gospel of Luke. Um, So within the Synoptic Gospels, which the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and they're called that because they are similar in their narratives. And Matthew and Mark have the Our Father um, translation order that we are all commonly um, familiar with, that we all know, and that we pray at Mass. Um, But you guys, you know me, I love teaching from scripture, and the Lucan version of the Our Father is different. So we're going to, we're going to really look at the Luke version and what we could learn um, from scripture and kind of the scriptural connections, but also what we can learn for our own prayer and for the spiritual application in our own lives. So if you'd like to read along with me, which is always good because I tend to kind of jump around and reference several parts of scripture when I teach on a passage. Um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. All right, and this is the Our Father in Luke. It reads, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins 
For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So that's Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 1. So there are some similarities, clearly, but it's very different. Like as you're as you're listening to it, you're like, oh, oh that's kind of weird, right? So it's much shorter and it's different. And Luke wasn't, I mean, he wasn't known for being short and concise, okay? Mark's gospel is actually the shortest of, of the gospels. Luke, as a single author between the gospel of Luke and between Acts of the Apostles actually makes up 27 and a half percent of the New Testament. Okay, so it's not like he couldn't have written out the entire thing um, that we're familiar with with Matthew and Mark. He wasn't trying to save papyrus. He wasn't trying to save paper to write on. So why is his version different? Why is it shorter? And why did he only include three petitions? All right, so I want to share something that I learned in one of my courses that I found so interesting. I got really excited about it. I'm like, oh my goodness, like that's so genius. Okay, so this is this was a course from Dr. Michael Barber. Um, so I always like to give credit, but he also gives credit where credit is due as well. So he actually said that this theory came from a paper that one of his students had to write. And... Um, I don't know her name. I tried looking up in his in his footnotes, in his notes, if he quoted her, and I couldn't find it. Um, so if she ever stumbles on this episode, thank you. Um, you are brilliant in making this connection in your paper. I didn't catch your name. So if ever you listen uh, and you're like, that's me, that was my theory. Um, I presented that. She went to the Society of Biblical Literature and presented this paper in front of like s- biblical scholars. Okay, so if this is you, reach out, and I'm, I'm not even joking. I will add your name to this episode because I want to give credit where credit is due. But her theory is that Luke includes these words specifically in these petitions in direct link to Jesus's temptation in the desert and to the book of Genesis. All right, so I'm going to jump to those passages in scripture. So I want to read Luke's account of Jesus being tempted in the desert. Um, This is in Luke 4, verse 1 through 13, if you want to follow along with me. Jesus is tempted in the desert. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I love that. Sorry, pause. (laughs) He ate nothing for 40 days. And when it was all over, he was hungry. Okay, duh, (laughs) right? Um, And then it keeps going. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. The opportune time is actually in the agony in the garden, which 
could be a whole different short shorty but he departed from him after tempting him with these three temptations so just a random note on this account before kind of going into the our father i want to point out that jesus's temptations in the desert are not random temptations so they relate not only to the ways that Israel was tempted in the desert, but also they relate to Genesis. So I'm going to talk more about Genesis, but really quick, they relate to the ways that Israel was tempted in the desert. Okay, so it starts out, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. That should immediately bring your mind back to Moses and the Exodus, where they come out of Egypt, are on their way to the promised land, and they don't trust in the Lord to enter into the promised land and to be successful in overthrowing the people who already live there, so they have to wander the desert for 40 years, okay? So he was tested with food, he was tested with idolatry, he was tested with the same temptations that Israel was, but Israel in the desert failed. So here, Jesus is redeeming um, salvation history. He succeeds in the temptations where we as man failed. All right. So they are not random things. Um, But they also, like I said, relate to Adam and Eve in Genesis and the ways that they were tested. So the devil's ways are not changing. Okay. He's always, he's, he's kind of got his way of doing things and just throughout history and the ways that the world changes, he gets sneakier, his tactics change, but they're always the same temptations. So um, the ways that Adam and Eve were tested are commonly called the threefold lusts, the threefold lusts. I had never heard of the threefold lusts prior to studying scripture. I always knew, I mean, I just kind of knew like Adam and Eve, they sinned. The devil tempted them. They ate the fruit. Okay. But how did the devil go about tempting them to get them to then eat the fruit? That was through the threefold lusts. And these threefold lusts are lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. All right, so if you would go back to Genesis with me, we're going to read through Adam and Eve's temptations as these threefold lusts, lust of the eyes, flesh, and pride of life. Okay, so it starts in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, uh, this is the, the part where we get the threefold dust. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So we have lust of the flesh, right? The woman saw that the tree was good for food. So lust of the flesh would be like tempting with something that um, that brings the body pleasure, okay? It's, it's carnal pleasures, like gluttony, food, sexual immorality, things like that. Um, so here in scripture says the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right? Um, lust of the eyes, 
is earthly pleasures or material goods. So she says uh, it was a delight to the eyes. And then pride of life is exactly that. It's the temptation and sin of pride or a desire of having power. So it would make her wise, make one wise or be like God. That's what the serpent says. You know, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So these are the threefold lusts that are shown not just here in Genesis, but shown throughout scripture, as I already briefly referenced in the desert and shown in Jesus's temptations. Um, and John also speaks of them uh, in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So these threefold lusts throughout scripture, um, they're also called triple concupiscence the triple concupiscence so that that word concupiscence means man's inclination to sin Um, so these are the three areas that we are inclined to sin because of the first sin of adam and eve so these are what we must overcome these these sins these threefold lusts eyes flesh and and pride are what we have to overcome to have a mastery of self so the catechism, uh, it's in paragraph 377, if anyone wants to kind of read on, but I'll just briefly mention the catechism talks about how in order to have true mastery over the world, which is what God gives Adam, right? He gives him command to go name the world. And in order to have command uh, or mastery of the world, we have to first have charge and mastery of ourselves. And so we have to be able to overcome this triple concupiscence, these, these threefold lusts. All right, so that's a little bit of background. How does all of this relate to the Our Father? All right, I am going to reread the Our Father that we get from the Gospel of Luke. Okay, it says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. All right, so we have lust of the flesh. Uh, It says, give us each day our daily bread. So if we look at Genesis, and I'm going to look at Genesis, uh, Jesus's temptation, and then here in this prayer, if we look at Genesis, she saw that it was good for food. All right, Jesus is tempted, turn the stone to bread. So here we pray, give us each day our daily bread. So we're praying that God would give us the daily bread, right? That it's not something that we are finding pleasure and we are seeing that it is good for food. It's not something that, you know, just like the devil is saying, turn these into stone. We're not trying to to find this pleasure on our own. We're asking God, you give us our daily bread, which is essentially, I'm sure, you know, Fred got to talk more about this, but it's our daily sustenance. And it's not just, you know, what we need in the world to live, but there's also Eucharistic tones because it can translate to mean super sustenance, which is obviously found in the Eucharist. So we are praying um, against that first temptation by praying, give us each day our daily bread. And then it says, your kingdom come. So Eve Um, She says, it is a delight to the eyes. And then, you know, the devil takes Jesus and he shows him the kingdom, right? So we are praying that God's kingdom would come. We're renouncing the earthly pleasures, that is lust of the eyes, and we're seeking his kingdom, right? And then it also says, hallowed be your name. So the third threefold lust is to make one wise. 
Uh, and then devil tempts Jesus, throw yourself down and be carried by the angels. So we pray, recognizing we do not have power, right? We're giving our pride away and we're recognizing the name of God, right? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Okay, so this is the Our Father from Luke. But it isn't just important to know scriptural themes and what he's pulling on, but what is the practical spiritual application to take away from the prayer that the Lord teaches us and how the Holy Spirit worked through the author of Luke and the the themes that he brings out. So first, um, a note from Jesus's temptation in the desert. The devil knows scripture. The devil knows scripture. You don't even have to read this carefully or with any kind of scholarly eye to see that the devil is quoting scripture to Jesus to get him to turn away from the father's will. All right. So how can we better hear the voice of God over the voice of evil? We have to know scripture. They're both quoting scripture to each other. So how can we discern what the Lord is asking us? We have to know scripture because the devil's going to use scripture too. All right, but he is quoting it to tempt him in the same way he has always tempted in those three ways. So when we pray the Our Father, Luke in his connection to Genesis and temptations is reminding us that we have defenses. We have defenses over the way that evil tempts us. The Our Father itself is a prayer to turn our heart away from these threefold lusts and to turn our heart to God himself. And when we pray as Jesus prays, we sit at the feet of the Father and we essentially arm ourselves against evil itself. All right, so let's thank Jesus for giving us this prayer and be sure to pray it. Pray it all the time. And we, we, we pray it at mass. We pray it in the rosary. If you are struggling with something, just randomly lift up that prayer in your car. We have so many defenses in the church, but this one is the one that Jesus gives us. So be sure to pray it with a true heart and strive to live the holy life that is exemplified in the words of these prayers. Strive to fight against the sneaky serpent and ultimately with God's help to be like Jesus and not fall and become triumphant just like he was in in the desert. All right. So I hope you enjoyed just a little bit of some scriptural background from the gospel of Luke, um, kind of just a different take. I am so excited to be back with everyone um, and be sure to check out the full episodes that are coming out with Fred, myself, and a few guests where we talk about fatherhood, seeing as how I'm not a father, I'm mostly just there to make you smile. So be sure to listen. Thanks.